Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, and this week we have a special bonus episode on top of our regularly scheduled programming. On this special episode, we have audio from our Indie Talks event in Reno with Washoe County School District Board of Trustees President Katie Simon-Holland and Interim Superintendent Kristen McNeil. Both sit down with editor John Ralston to talk about the state of the school district. If you want to hear this week's regular episode, check out the previous episode with presidential hopeful Tom Steyer and some stories from KUNR on STDs in the state. So now to the main event. Uh, uh, why, don't, why don't you come up here, Kristen and, and Katie? Uh, uh, Kristen McNeil is the interim superintendent, and, and, and Katie Simon Holland, who is the president of the school board. You can each of you take whatever seat you want. Whoever wants to be farther away from me should take that seat quickly. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I really believe this. Uh, your willingness to have this kind of open conversation, and, and I know you guys have kind of been on a goodwill tour, and uh, we're just one of many stops on, on, on your way on this goodwill tour. Um, but your willingness to have this conversation, uh, I think, is important in the sense that uh, I think there are people in Washoe County who, with all the convulsions that you've gone, you've gone through, feel that there may have been a lack of transparency, feel like there, that, that there's questions that you need to answer, that they're uncertain uh, about the future uh, of, of the school district. So let, let, let me start. I'm going to take the pressure off you, Kristen. I'm going to start with, with Katie. Why should people have faith in the district after everything that's happened? Well, thanks for the question, John, and thank you all for being here. Uh, as John said, it's a busy night for people, and we're very appreciative that you're here uh, to listen to what we have to say. Um, the school district actually uh, has done an amazing job of moving forward with uh, with the resources that we have. And um, some of the things that we have – oh, and by the way, uh, my pointer finger, I was pretending to be Iron Chef this weekend uh, at home and, and uh, cut my finger. So uh, I, it's hard to take me seriously with that, I know. Um, but there are some great things going on in the Washoe County School District. And as you know, I came from a different world. I came from local government 15 years as the county manager in Washoe County and hoped that I could uh, contribute some public management experience. And uh, I have to say how receptive uh, the school district team has been, how committed they are to excellence and dedicated to data-driven decision-making. And, and some of the things that I, I want to make sure people know about the Washoe County School District, um, we are ranked in the top 22% of school districts nationwide by Niche.com, which is a, uh, a realtor uh, data organization nationally that gives realtors information about um, school districts so that their clients can know where, they, where their children are going to be going to school. New York Times study ranked us in the top 18% of school districts nationwide. Uh, and as the governor knows, we uh, were recently found by Education Week uh, as being the state being 35th in the nation instead of 50th for academic achievement and the most improved state in the nation. Uh, there are many, many good things. Our, our uh, advanced placement rate of passage is higher than the rest of the state. And it's higher than the national average. Our, our passing score is um, 
something like well, Kristen can say twenty one point eight, and uh, <laughs> and the yeah, and the passing scores are lower than that uh, in the rest of the country. So great things going on. Half of our kids get an honors or an advanced diploma. Uh, we have 40% of our kids are in a career and technical education course of study, and 98% of those kids graduate on time, uh, and half of them get an honors or advanced diploma. So um, lots of wonderful things. Our kids are twice as likely to take an advanced placement class or and or to pass the advanced placement. So lots of good things going on in the district. That being said, we recognize this has been a tough, tough time this summer. And I want to tell you, and I, and I know you and your, your team and I have had conversations about transparency, and, and I just want to say um, for the record and publicly, um, the process that we had to go through this summer was grueling for everyone. Uh, there was no joy for anyone in the process that we went through in our transition uh, regarding the superintendent. Um, and things that had to be done to preserve and protect her confidentiality and her privacy and her ability to make decisions during a time when not all of that could be shared with the public. Um, I want to tell all of you that was very hard for me personally uh, to be the point of the spear, if you will, for all of that uh, and uh, not to be able to share all of that because it is my way. And folks who have worked with me over the years when I was the county manager know that transparency is very important to me. Uh, but there are times when people's personal um, confidentiality has to come before revealing all to the public. Uh, so I think that the public has a very, very um, um, legitimate interest in our movement forward. And I want to just want to reassure folks that we are we are accomplishing great things. Of course, there's more work to do. There is much more work to do, uh, but we have great plans moving forward, and Kristen's doing an amazing job of working uh, with our incredible team. Are, <clears throat> Katie, are you familiar with the term filibuster? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you give I, me the microphone, John. I, I'm going to take it. Would I you get, like me to sing the national anthem? I, see, I can I do see, that, too. I see, I see that working for all those elected <laughs> officials over at Washoe <laughs> County, for all those, you, you learned a few tricks. It's very impressive. Uh, and uh, So, so we're, we're going to come back to a couple of things that, 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 that you said. We only have two minutes left, thanks to that. No, I'm kidding. So... <clears throat> Oh, you're just jealous. Uh, let, let me, let me, uh, no, that was actually very impressive in a very uh, sick way. Now, listen, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me ask Kristen a, a, a question. You're thrown into this after this maelstrom occurs, and I, I'm not going to completely go past that because I do want to ask you some questions about it. But you, you, from all I've been able to discern, everything I've heard, what's been reported, you went in there trying to fix the damage that had been done. You talked about low employee morale, which is going to affect any organization after something like that occurs, but it's especially bad in an organization whose sole function is to educate children. What have you found out about morale? What are you doing to make it better? Well, thank you very much, John, and, and I just want to say thank you all. Um, this is a fabulous group. Um, there's a lot of friendly faces out here, so that's really great because I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. This is a little bit different than I'm typical. And then the governor shows up, and thank you very much, Governor. <laughs> we were actually supposed to meet tomorrow, but that's okay. This is wonderful. You're, you're actually able to go wherever you want to, so that's, that's totally fine. He, he can ask questions later, too, you know. 
Okay. Um, no, and I, and I appreciate that, John. Um, you know, I was the deputy superintendent, and just for, for the benefit of, of the audience, um, I actually was a teacher in the, in the Washoe County School District. I taught at Libby Booth Elementary. I taught at Smithridge Elementary. I was a principal at Lois Allen Elementary. I was a principal at Marvin Moss. I was a chief strategies officer over our grants department. And then I was the chief of staff and then appointed deputy superintendent. So I've come up through the organization. um, And it takes a lot um, to come into this role, um, especially in the way that that we did. And I was very honored uh, to be appointed uh, interim superintendent. But that's not something that you set yourself out to to do. Um, And anybody that wakes up in the morning and says, you know, when they're 10 years old, I want to be a superintendent of a school district, people should be concerned about that, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, But I just want to say one of the very first things that we set out to do is to build the trust back up within our employee, all of our employees. We We have amazing employees who work tremendously hard each and every day for 64,034 students. And it was important for me to go out during the summer. It's not the best time to be going out and talking with our employees, but we had to do it. And so I had what I called casual conversations. We had them on a regional level. And really it was me, first of all, doing what I just did, introducing myself, but then being quiet and listening to some of the issues that were out there. And there were a lot of issues. What kind of issues? So, for example, um, workload. Workload on our classroom teachers. Workload on our principals. Workload on our support staff. Students, um, disruptive students and behavior and how that impacts the classroom setting. Special education and what we're doing in special education. Pay and benefits technology and equitable access of technology. These were all really important issues. And it's important for me to listen to what our employees are saying. And I'm not going to be able to solve anything, and I've been very transparent about that. I can't do this alone. The Board of Trustees can't do this alone. We need our employees. We need our community to help us with this. So uh, you, you, you talked in the summer. Uh, you did an interview with KUNR. And, and you talked about the what you called uh, this climate of uncertainty that, that is plaguing the district. Now, there isn't a permanent superintendent. You said that people wonder uh, who is in charge. Uh, you both talk about moving forward, which, of course, you want, you, you want to do. What is the evidence that, 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 that you're showing, I'm in charge, we're moving forward? Well, I think just establishing the fact that I'm the interim superintendent appointed by the by the board um, is one thing. Um, but then also getting out and talking with our principals, talking with our teachers, um, I've made it very evident um, as far as what my priorities are, as far as every single day I will serve with honesty, integrity, and kindness. And I have made that very much apparent um, to our teachers, to our principals, to our support staff. And, you know, a lot of that is actually communicating and having either it's a one-to-one meeting, small group meetings, getting back to somebody on an email. I mean, I'm known, unfortunately, with my leadership team, who, by the way, I have the most amazing leadership team, I think, in the state of Nevada, and I am going to say that because these people work tremendously hard for the benefit of our schools. But I have, unfortunately, the reputation to be answering emails at midnight and a little bit later in the afternoon or evening, but it's getting back to 
to people. It's making that courtesy that I may not be able to solve your issue, but at least I'm listening to your issue. And so establishing that trust, John, was extremely important to me as an individual, and it was important to me as the interim superintendent. I'm going to get back to you in a, in a second, uh, Katie, but, but I, I know you're looking forward to that, but we want to give somebody else a chance to talk. So, um, Kristen, when you, talked, when you talked, I saw that you talked to the, uh, the Reno Gazette Journal about something called a pathway to positive progress, which... It's great alliteration. I love alliteration. But it says nothing. I mean, have you ever heard of negative progress? Or would that have just have hurt the alliteration? I guess I'm making the point is, that I was with Katie is that you can say all kinds of words that, that you want, but people want to see action. Uh, they, 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 they want to see what this means from a crisis message to a stability message. There, there, there is still instability in the district, is there not? Well, I, you know, I don't want to disagree with you, but I am going to disagree because I actually well, do think... What happened think, to the kindness? Well, I, I think we can have, we can actually have, John, a constructive, respectful conversation, I'm right? I'm Go on. I know. But I actually do think that we've made some, some great positive strides, and part of that has to do with listening to our employees. And that may seem like a little thing, but, you know... Going out and visiting our schools and actually sitting down and talking with our cafeteria or nutrition services employees, making that consistent, talking with our teachers, listening to what their concerns are, listening to what their workload is. If there is something on a top-down approach that I can make easier, that I can do better, then I want to know about that. Katie, you know, I, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but and, and I do want to talk about moving forward in a second, but let's just go back to what happened over the summer. And, and, and there was frustration uh, uh, on the part of the media and not being able to get... Uh, you, you had a reputation from everything I know as being a straight shooter when you were, when, uh, and that you were accessible. And you, you were asking reporters, you asked my reporter to give questions in advance, all kinds of stuff that, 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 that are red flags for people in my business, like what, what is she hiding? Of course you had to protect the previous superintendent's confidentiality, and of course you're worried about litigation, which was going to be inevitable uh, anyhow. But do you look back on that now and say, you know, we could have handled that better. We should have done some things differently. Do you do that? We do. And, um, and of course, I've done a lot of personal reflection, and I do that regularly in this job. Um, the balancing of the public's right to know and the process that we have for public officials in Nevada is very difficult. Um, we have to provide notice of certain things in advance of being able to explain it or being able to answer questions about it. We had, um, we had certain process uh, points along the way with uh, the previous superintendent's council that, uh, for whatever reasons, were not met and so it was very challenging for us. We, we had to have certain things happen because of the requirement by law that the board provide notice, and yet we weren't able to explain what the purpose of that notice was. Uh, and again, the board has to act as a board, and so I'm, I'm limited in what I can say on behalf of the board until the board acts, and the board can't act until it's in a public meeting. So... Um, if there is anything that I wish were different, 
uh, it would have to be with the way the process has to take place in the public arena. I absolutely believe in the transparency of our processes, and I believe in decisions being made in public. And there are certain things that affect people's lives, that affect uh, the ability to um, answer legitimate questions that are built in. They're baked into the legal process that we have to follow. So, um, yes, I certainly wish it could have been done differently, and I don't see a lot of ways it could have been done differently. Uh, I guess what I'm wondering about is, is, is the message that sent to the community. And at the risk of bringing up bad memories, uh, as I was preparing for this, I was reading some of the, the clips. There was this evisceration uh, of the board in, in, in the Reno News and Review that you may remember this headline. Uh, probably uh, sticks with you forever. Board of Bunglers. It appeared clear that the board members treated the notion of open meetings casually since they went into the final meeting confident they had the votes, suggesting there had been consensus building out of public view. Along the way, the board taught a lesson to the students under its care by lying. Then, too, there was the juvenile stunt of closing down the school district building <clears throat> excuse me, and hiding out from Davis. Man, they like you. Well, I, I can respond to the fact that, um, again, uh, there were no decisions made behind closed doors. There were absolutely no votes taken. There was no polling of how people felt. There was a presentation in a litigation meeting, which we are required and allowed to do, uh, to gain facts for litigation. And, uh, and board members listened to that information and the substantial evidence that was presented, but no one was asked at any time, how will you vote? What is your thought? What are you going to do? Not at any time did that occur. Now, I was surprised as anyone at what the final vote was. And I think... Really? Absolutely. Surprised. I was absolutely surprised at what the final vote was. So... Um, there was no consensus building. Uh, there was a presentation of evidence, and each board member made his or her own decisions based on the evidence that was provided, which was also provided to all of the public. No doubt that the right decision was made uh, to get the district moving forward. You had to do what you did. No doubts? I have no doubts based on the evidence that we had. And again, that decision was made based on that particular set of facts. Didn't have to do with evaluations, didn't have to do with other performance, didn't have to do with anything else but the facts that were presented. And of course, we are in litigation now, so I, there's not a lot more that I can say. And that's fair enough. So let's, let's talk about something you can be judged on. And, and I'll go back to you now, Madam Superintendent. You heard <clears throat> interim. <laughs> why, why does it bother you so much? You don't want the you don't want the you don't want the interim removed from your from the title. I just think it's appropriate to say interim <clears throat> superintendent because that's what I am at this point in time. You don't want the interim removed from the title, or you do? Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind answering that. I mean, the, the board. Well, wait and a second. I, I, Who's this guy? <laughs> Hello, <I'm> Seth. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, the, the board has said that they wanted to do a, a national search, and I supported that. I, I've gone on the public record for a national search. I think that is exceptionally important. I'm very much behind that, and it wasn't just till a couple of weeks ago that I notified the board that I'm going to throw my name into the hat. But until 
that process happens. Okay. I'm interim superintendent. Okay. Should I just call you by your first name? It seems that's it seems absolutely nicer. Okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so let let's talk about something uh, metrics that you can be judged by. And 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 uh, you heard Madam uh, President talk about these nice rankings that came out in the New York Times and and, and and the realtors. There were some other data that came out today. I'm sure you both saw it. And our great education reporter Jackie mm-hmm. Valley uh, covered it. It's at the top of our site, the NevadaIndependent.com. For those of you not familiar. Um, the ACT test scores, you, you can put lipstick on this pig, but it's still a pig. And the part that I read, and I told Jackie this was the most depressing part of the whole story to me, was this. But only 12% of Nevada graduates, the same percentage as last year, met all four ACT college readiness benchmarks, which are scores of 18 on the English section, 22 on math, 22 on reading, and 23 on the science section. Those are awful numbers, aren't they? I will say that we are not we are not pleased with where that where that is. We have to do better. We have to do better as a district. We have to do better as a state. We absolutely do. Um, and you know, our focus has been uh, for quite a while, around a decade, on our graduation rate. But there are other points that we need to put our our emphasis and our and our resources in. And you know, Nevada is a is a state that is universal testing. So we test every single junior um, for the ACT test, and they take that test in the winter of their junior year. Um, And it's important for us to get that message out that every single junior should be taking that test and take it with all the seriousness, whether you plan to go into the military, into the college, or into a career. But it is an important test, um, and so we are making sure that um, we have the right environments for test-taking. One thing that we met with our state superintendent about is making sure that all of our students, rightly so, that have the appropriate accommodations. So if I have accommodations for taking a test, then I should be taking those the ACT test with that accommodation as well. And that could be an extended amount of time. It, sh- it could be with an English language dictionary. So we want to make sure of that. But you're absolutely right. I am, not, I am not pleased with those results. I know the board is not pleased with those results. We need to do better. We need to do better for our students. And, and I have no doubt that you're both earnest about wanting to improve all, all of that. But if you're a doctor and you have a patient that's presenting symptoms, uh, there's, there's no way that you can cure that patient unless you can figure out why those symptoms are occurring. Why are those test scores so low? Why are they still so low? What, what's the issue? Is it, is it decades of neglect in funding? Is it something else institutionally that's going on? You've been around now for a while, Madam Interim Superintendent. Why is this still going on? Well, remember, Nevada changed um, for the ACT test to be a universal test back in 2015. Um, And since that time, even though our scores have been flat, um, it's getting that message out to all of our students and all of our parents to make sure that, you know, that we're well prepared for this test. But I will tell you, it's difficult as a parent. um, I have a senior in school right now. and making sure that those resources are available to all of our students. I'm, I'm avail, you know, able to have my daughter um, go into a tutoring session. 
and to be able to attend a tutor, right? Not all of our families are able to afford those, and we need to do a better job within the school district, within our community, to provide those resources for every single student. Got to level the playing field, right? I mean, that's part of the problem. Is, is that a big problem? It is, absolutely. And, and we work hard on disproportionality. Um, we have increased graduation rates for every cohort. Those kids that are uh, minority groups, uh, that are free and reduced lunch, we have increased those graduation rates. But I want to add another thing, uh, a data point. And, and those who know me know that data points are, are something I care a lot about. Um, the average class size nationally is 15.96, and in Nevada, the average class size is 25. Now, it's a little bit lower than that in the Washoe County School District. We know there is abundant research that relates class sizes to academic achievement. And it's not a, it's not a cure-all, but, but that is a huge discrepancy. We have the largest class sizes on average in the United States. And it makes it extremely challenging for those very dedicated educators to make sure that every child gets their needs met. So resources are a part of it, and I hope that we can do better in the future. It's interesting you mentioned class sizes because when I first started covering politics in Nevada many, many years ago, way too many years ago, I remember when Bob Miller was governor and he was the first one to really talk about class size reduction. And with great fanfare, they passed class size reduction. And this was going to be the panacea that solved everything. And Bob Miller hasn't been governor for a long time, Katie. I think you know that. Mm -hmm. it, it hasn't been solved. And it's, it's kind of a complex problem, and people don't even really understand it. It's not just the funding that comes from the legislature that we're talking about here. We're talking about your ability to build schools, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, and to hire the teachers to put in those classrooms uh, and to attract those teachers. Um, I did a little research on my own before I even got on the school board about teacher pay, and, and certainly teacher pay in Nevada is competitive, and we work hard with our, uh, our teachers' union. Uh, but when you look at comparing teacher pay in, in nationally to other careers that require a four-year degree and require a university or college education, um, in the United States of America, and this is no disrespect to anyone, executive assistants that do not require a college education make more than a teacher. And that, that we as a nation have to change that paradigm. Do you think? Do you think people? Uh, I'll let you jump in in a second. Do you think people in this community are willing to embrace that? Are willing to say we will pay more because we think teachers should be paid more? We experienced this in Clark County as well. Why would we continue to invest money in a system that doesn't work for our kids? You've heard this. I'm not absolutely. telling you anything new. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that you know that's a chicken and egg as well. Um, we do a lot in the school district to work on attracting young people uh, into the teaching profession. And we are very grateful for the partnerships we have with the University of Nevada, Reno, that work at uh, attracting young people in high school. Even in middle school, we're working on that. But Kristen and I were at uh, visits yesterday, at, or Monday, Monday, Monday with uh, elementary school, a middle school, and a high school in Sparks with the state superintendent. And we asked kids in the middle school visit, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Doctor, lawyer, lawyer, doctor, doctor, lawyer. No one wants to be a teacher. 
What about a superintendent? (laughs) (laughs) She still wants to, John, so, you know, cut cut me a little slack on that, will you? (laughs) So so, I think you wanted to jump in. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I I come from a family of educators. My my dad is is what he he likes to call himself a recovering middle school principal, and um, my mother is a school psychologist, and... um, I was kind of the black sheep of the family and kind of deviated a little bit. Um, I received my bachelor's degree in hotel administration. And um, then I heard this calling back and saying, you know, that's a fabulous job. I love doing it. But what am I getting at the end of the day? And I will tell you, sitting here today, there is nothing more fulfilling than coming in front of a classroom of kids and watching that one student click And whether it's he's learning to read or she's learning her division tables, there is nothing more passionate and nothing more exciting than that. But that's what we have to to tell our young ones that are coming up through our system. Education is still a very great career to get into and to bring that love back to being a teacher. And so when, when President Simon Holland was talking about on a national scope of what we're talking about, we had more students graduating from the from the college of agriculture than even entering into education and we need to do better about that we need to do better about educating our students in the pipeline that being a teacher is a great great career uh, teachers uh, and i think everyone in this room i think probably both of you and i certainly myself we still remember teachers who had an impact on us, right, for, for whatever reasons. They, 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 they do incredible work. They are, there's no way you can ever say any of them are paid enough for what they are. A lot of them pay for stuff out of pocket. A lot of them put up with circumstances that, that, that are very difficult. But and, and, and Madam President brought this up, and so you can address this too. What's the pitch? What, what's the pitch to, to, to get good teachers to want to work in Nevada? Come here, our scores are terrible, and we're not going to pay you that much, and our, cl- our classes are overcrowded. What's the pitch? The pitch is, I love children, and I want to make our society better. I can because do that in New at, York. I can at, do that in New York. No heckling. No, <laughs> I, I should tell everybody here, that, that after uh, this conversation is over in a little bit, I'm going to let people, as long as they're respectful, ask some questions. But please, don't, 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 don't yell things at either. They're taking the time to be here and, and, and let me be a pain in the ass for an hour. So let's give, let's give them uh, the, the, the respect they deserve. But seriously, I think it is a serious question. I mean, how do you get people to come here under these circumstances? And we need to, like I was saying, we need to get that message out that – being a teacher is a, is a great career. But when, you know, Nevada, we have been historically, I mean, I, you know, I grew up d- down south, um, and tourism and construction were the big jobs back then, right? And now, thankfully, in, in northern Nevada, as well in, in the rest of the state, we're seeing other types of economies come into play. Technology. I mean, we need to diversify our economy. We absolutely positively do. But one of the things about education, public education, is to make sure that our citizens are educated to be productive and to be a part of our community. When we were at Sparks High School the other day, I was talking to our seniors as far as they have a responsibility as well. 
They have to be a part of our society. And we, as educators, that's our responsibility. It's hard, though, isn't it, uh, to, 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 get, to get people interested in coming to Nevada to work as teachers? There, there are vacancy rates in almost every school district, right? It is hard. Um, and I, you know, I'm reminded of, uh, of John Scully when he was, uh, he was working for Pepsi-Cola. I believe he was the CEO of, of Pepsi. And he was recruited to become the CEO of Apple when Steve Jobs was out. It didn't work out too well, you know. I it hope didn't you work out too well, but, oh, okay. but I remember his comment, and it was, do I want to make sugar water for the rest of my life, or do I want to change the world? And, and that's the message we have to get out to people that, um, that care about what they, what they share, what their legacy is. Uh, of course, our alternative routes to licensure, we have an amazing... Uh, number of people who come back from corporate careers and come back into education because they they do want to make a difference in the world. Uh, so yes, we have we have a job to do. I want to thank the governor for his pressure to uh, provide a three percent pay increase, which is still not enough, and we recognize that the Washoe County School District was one of the first in the state to put that three percent into our budget, and that was approved before. Thank you, Governor. <laughs> Who would think that the guy from the south would like the north better than the southern district? <laughs> well, he knows we're trying to do what he cares about, too. And, uh, and that was before we had the opportunity to work with our, our unions to get that done. Um, but, but we did get it done. And, uh, but it's just a tiny step. There's so much more we need to do. And, and yeah. The message needs to get out. Changing the world is more important than other things. You know, I, I, want, I want to get back to some more specifics, and, and I don't want to get too ethereal here. And I would, I would say what I'm about to say, whether the governor was in the room uh, or, or, or not. My feeling about this, and you both have been around a long time as well, and so have a lot of people in this room, is that there hasn't been a real culture in this state that has valued education. You alluded to it a little bit. And when you saw the governor, who, uh, uh, by the way, if you don't know him, I've known him probably longer than a lot of people. And the governor is truly a really emotional and passionate guy. And so we can argue about the numbers that got done this session. But on the campaign trail, he used to say a lot, that whatever it takes, the status quo needs to change. Now, whatever success or not that he had, it, that kind of passionate embrace of the notion that it's not just about numbers on a sheet, but these things are not, are not work, are working the way that they are. People need to be brought into the conversation more and not just uh, have legislatures putting Band-Aids on a problem or making promises. And so... He tapped into something there. Uh, I thought, again, we can argue whether there was enough money or not or whether he brags too much about it or whatever. <laughs> the, the point is is that the way that he expressed it, uh, that just hasn't happened enough in this state, don't you think? This is not just a, a carte blanche to suck up to the governor. It's not just about him. Uh, it, it's really about changing the conversation, getting more people to say there's Game 7 of the World Series, but this is a more important conversation mm -hmm. to have. No, it really is. And, and I think the fact that the governor feels that and is here present tonight, I think, speaks to that. I mean, we have the, the head of EDON here who is extremely passionate about education and put out on the table to the business leaders the other day that we need to raise, we need to raise more dollars in, this, in, in the state of Nevada for education. We're talking about our future. We're talking about the future of our state. And by gosh, if we want to be 
the the you know the state that's going to take he- education head on then let's get the money in the room let's start doing it let's start having those talks let's start you know putting it out there on the table we need to start making this a statewide issue you know there's there's people though and this is this gets back to the beginning of the conversation with you trying to reinvigorate both of you trying to reinvigorate trust in the school district uh, I, I i've been writing for decades about how we should be funding education better we should put more money into education but there are people who just don't have faith in the school districts it's not just washington it's true in clark county you're not you're not the ones and so there are alternatives pat hickey's going to love this segue people People are starting to think about alternatives to, 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 to just regular public schools. They're talking about charters. People, I, I, I understand whether you support school choice or not. They, 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 they say, you know, I understand this frustration of a parent. Things are not getting done. There's, I, my kid comes home and said, there's 30 kids in the class, uh, a mom. I, I, they did, I, I didn't know what was going on. Do you understand why? The charter school movement that, 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 that has, has gained sustenance. Do you understand why people, uh, and they're not just Republicans, it's not just one side of the aisle, think school choice should be something that's considered. Now, school choice could be the end of the public school system as we know it, but charters are public schools. Do you understand why people want alternatives? Why they're frustrated? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. Um, and, and that's something that you know that's important to us we have a great relationship with our charter schools do Both, you? yes we yeah, do would they say uh, that i would i would think that, that okay. they do um you know we just had a presentation the other day at the board of trustees um where the state charter authority came in um we have seven district sponsored charter schools right now um and then we also have great relationships with with our state sponsored charter schools but it's it is about options. Um, we're not closing the doors for any options, but what our job is is to make our schools a place where our students and our parents want to be able to come to. That's our job. That's what we do each and every day. And so there are some aspects that we need to do better at. We absolutely do. And whether that is class size, whether that's um, discipline in the classroom, whether those are resources within the classroom, those are all things that we talk about each and every day. You, you think charters can be a complement to what you do? I think charter schools have a place. Um, you know, I mean, public education, charters, our, our state-sponsored charters and our, and our district-sponsored, they're public schools. And there's a niche for a charter school. But it's our job in the Washoe County School District and hopefully other school districts to make sure that we have the resources that we need in our schools to do a better job. I want to I want to add to that, John. That um, you know, ninety nine percent of our teachers teach in their area of certification in the Washoe County School District, and and more than two thirds of our teachers have a master's degree. Um, that isn't always true in other schools. Um, we have kids that come back from charter schools back into the Washoe County School District. We absolutely value choice. And we also know that education is really hard work. It's really hard work for a charter school. It's really hard work for a private school. And it's really hard work for a public school. Many of our charters lost ground this year in the state and actually were downgraded in their star rating. And that's a huge blow for them. It's a huge blow for us when any of our schools are, are downgraded. Uh, so we're all working hard to make sure that those kids are getting the best education. We don't think that it's a competition 
Um, we do think that there are things that charters can do flexibly. I mean, Coral Academy, you know, the best schools in the in the state. But we want to make sure that, as Kristen said, we're not seeing it as a as an either or. We're seeing it as our our challenge to be the best schools that we can be, given the resources and the realities that we have in public education. And again. Um, coming in from the outside, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't raised in the Washoe County School District. My daughter was, and my stepdaughters and my grandchildren are all Washoe County School District folks. Um, but I am really proud of the work that our educators and our staff uh, does for every student every day. Yes, we we have things that we can do better, but I, I put us up against uh, against charter schools, and and they put themselves up against us. It's a it's a positive thing. Do you think that uh, I'll ask you this one, Madam President, because I don't want to uh, stick Madam Interim Superintendent with this, and that is this. Do you think that public school unions are an impediment to the progress that you're trying to make? I don't think they are in Washoe County. I think we have really good relationships with our employee associations. Uh, Kristen meets with them regularly. Um, they know they have an open door with me. Uh, Natha Anderson from our Washoe Education Association is sitting here, and she has my phone on speed dial. <laughs> so I think that um, they can be for people that are not, um, who, who have a perception about union membership and union roles in education and union roles in government. But I, I think in our in our situation, they are good for our employees and they're good for the district. So by implication, when you said not in Washoe County, you think they're a problem in Clark County? Can we get you on a record saying Did that? Did I say anything about Clark <laughs> County, John? Did you hear me say Clark County? Uh, I could be talking about another state, for example. You but could be. You could, theoretically. <laughs> theoretically. Theoretically. I, just, I can only comment about Washoe County, and we have great relationships with our employee associations, and we are in the process of ratifying some agreements and, um, and looking forward to uh, moving forward. Um, there was a lot of talk during the legislature uh, 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 about this new funding formula and, and the Nevada plan, which is half a century old and it needs to be revamped. A lot of people, you know, this is, you know, it's Greek to them, right? And, and, and anybody trying to understand that funding formula, I think, uh, w would get that. You think it's going to make much of a difference? Well, I think I think it's early in the process right now. Um, you know, they meet almost on a every two week basis. There's a heck of a lot of work that they have to do, um, but it's an amazing team that they have put together. Um, but the proof is going to be in the pudding as far as what some of those recommendations are going to to you know come out of that. Um, right now, we have both of the formulas you know that will be running parallel to one another. Um, but I think it's going to be um, a test for the commission to be able to see what, you know, if, if the pie is going to be, is going to get larger. Because I think that's part of the issue um, is how that pie is going to be set up and how that distribution is going to be made within all the school districts. If, uh, if you could be made interim god. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> what would you tell them that needs to be done? What are the most important adjustments that need to be made? I think it needs to be equitable. I think we need to look at the diversity of our student population within school districts. I think that's, that's huge. Um, it needs to be fair. But we need more resources at the end of the day. We need more resources. Our schools 
Um, and we, we are extremely grateful to the governor. I'm not saying that just because he's here and I have a meeting with him tomorrow. Um, and, and we're extremely grateful to our legislators. But we need more. We have over 47% of our students receive free and reduced lunch in the Washoe County School District. We have students every single day that are facing complex trauma. Um, we have teachers that need additional resources, that need professional development. We have students on IEPs whose families need additional resources. Individual education plans. Yes, individual education plans. We have... Um, you know, school police officers who, who put their lives on the line. Um, we, need, we need additional support um, for all of our schools. I mean, the list that she just gave uh, brings to mind, uh, Madam President, how many different challenges there are. It's not just in Washoe County. It's certainly uh, in, in Clark County and some of the rural school districts as well. The, the, there, was a, there was a problem with... Uh, teaching English language learners in, in a lot of classes. Teachers go into classes and there's kids who can speak English. There are kids who can speak English okay and then there are kids who can barely speak English. You're setting almost all three cohorts set up to fail, right, uh, if, if, if they don't have the resources. Talk about kids on free and reduced lunch. The, the, these kids, how are they going to learn under certain circumstances? That Those issues, to me it seems... Sure, you have to have accountability, but they can only be solved by getting more resources. That's true. And, um, you know, in addition to the things that, that Kristen named off, we also have about 3,000 children who are homeless in the Washoe County School District and do not have a permanent home at which to do homework every night. Uh, tremendous problems. We have, uh, when we visited Sparks Middle School the other day, some of the children that we met with and their families, uh, three of the young women that we met had been in the country less than four months uh, coming from Honduras and Mexico, and they were 13 years old, and one of them had only had school for three months of her entire life. The, the circumstances that children are coming to us from, um, and, and those children are trying to learn. They've come here for a better experience and opportunities, and they, are, they can't read or write in their own language, let alone in our language. So this, these are the things that our educators are facing every day. And yes, it does take resources. We appreciate the resources that have been allocated. We appreciate the flexibility that the legislature has given us with some of the uh, what was previously restricted funding, and we can now apply where we need it uh, at those uh, middle schools that we were just talk I was just talking about. We have co-teaching, so we have an English language skilled teacher teaching with the math teacher, helping those children to learn. And you can't tell necessarily which teacher is which. Uh, those children are getting all the support that we can provide them. But it is very expensive. But what happens to those children, they are here. They are part of our community. They're part of our, of our responsibility now. And we have an obligation to make sure that they have a fulfilling life and they are provided every possibility for a great career and other opportunities. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned a word there that comes up in this debate all the time, and I know it's something that the governor has talked about, and it's the issue of flexibility of funding and, and, and whether or not there should be all of these categoricals and, 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 what, and these silos. 
On the one side, you say, you know what, it makes sense to have those because you can have more accountability that way. On the other hand, every school is different. Uh, every district is different. And, and so where, where's, the, where's the middle ground there? How do you get accountability if you have too much flexibility? Where's the middle ground? Well, I think hopefully that's probably, you know, one of the aspects of, of the commission and what they're going to be talking about as far as a weighted student funding formula. Um, and we're, like I said, we're, we're very appreciative of the Zoom funding for EL learners and the Victory funding, which goes to schools that have high level of poverty. But almost every single one of our schools has a child that's free and reduced lunch. Almost every single one of our schools has a child that's on, um, that has English language uh, learning. And so it's spreading those resources in an equitable fashion that we are able to do that. And so if I, if I have a, a subset of schools that is allowed to use the Zoom funding, I would love to be able to use that funding at 10 other schools. And so that's where the flexibility comes in, but it's also being held accountable on how we're using those funds. So what are the results? What type of professional development are you giving? And is it getting the outcomes that you would expect for that? So absolutely, I think flexibility has to be tied to being accountable as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you talk about Zoom schools, which I think are a great example, great idea and concept, and and it comes to, that that brings up the whole debate of how far behind we have fallen over the years by not seeing these demographic changes coming in this state. Uh, It's it's probably more of a problem uh, in Clark County than it is here, but it's a a problem here, and either uh, a benign or cancerous neglect, uh, however you want to look at it, by, by, by policymakers, but you're still creating a caste system, are you not, by giving some schools the designation and the extra funding and resources and some not? And if you try to give it all to them, I mean, the governor, is, as, as, as much as he cares about education and wants to spend more money, is not going to suddenly present a $10 billion general fund budget. So knowing that we're so far behind, knowing that you can only do so much, what do you tell the parent... And I'll let you take this one on. What do you tell the parent who's not at the Zoom school, who has a friend whose kid is at a Zoom school and tells the other kid how many more resources he or she has? And that's a great question. And, and it actually existed as a challenge before we had Zoom schools with Title I. Right. We, are, we are given certain funding uh, from the federal government for Title I schools. And we decide within the district at what level of free and reduced lunch population in a school warrants that school being a Title I school. And I get calls from lots of families who are in schools that may have 40% free and reduced lunch, but they don't have 44% free and reduced lunch, so they don't get Title I designation, so they don't get those resources. It is a challenge. And I, I have shared my frustration with the staff, and the staff says, but if we if we give those Title I schools uh, school designations to every school, then we can't make substantive contributions to the schools that really need it. We have taken advantage of a lot of things uh, that that federal government allows us to. Uh, as many of you saw, we were able to add something like forty schools this year that get free meals for kids, breakfast and lunch for every student in the school because of the level of poverty that we have in our community. 
So we're, we're aggressively trying to pursue those things. And I, I do have colleagues that say, but what about my kid? My kid isn't in the gifted and talented program that has a special setup, and my kid isn't in the you know English language and has a co-teacher in his or her class. My kid's just an average kid. Where, where are the resources for him or her? And that's, that's our big challenge. I, I will echo what Mike Kazmierski said at the EDON board meeting uh, last week or whenever that was and said, it is not enough for us to be 49th in the nation for funding to our schools. We, our children deserve better than being treated as 49th in the nation. And I, I believe that and we're going to keep working for that. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to call Elizabeth up here in, in, in a couple seconds to, to, to see if anybody has questions. We'll pass the mic a, a around. Uh, but I want to cover one other topic, a topic that uh, unfortunately you have to deal with that my parents didn't have to deal with, and, and that is the issue of school safety. Uh, uh, and, and I think that there are parents out here in this audience and I, who, who worry about their kids being safe in school every day. I'm sure uh, you pray every day that you're not going to get, get that phone call. Are the schools safe in Washoe County? Our schools are safe in Washoe County, and I do want to say we were at a press conference today. Um, we had a tremendous loss yesterday in the Washoe County School District, um, and this is a community issue, and we need to take care of that community issue, and this is about traffic safety. It's about people getting off of their phones um, and paying this was attention. a hit and run that you were this was refer a hit and refer run? referring to, but that's only yes. that's only part of it. And there was a horrible thing I, I I read about it. But you know, there's a lot more to it. Than, than, there I mean, absolutely is. Right? You know, we we have um, you know bullying, we have social media, we have a lot of issues within the school district. Um, Kids bringing guns to school, and and you know we don't have that particular issue as much, um, thankfully, um, but. It's something that we need to be concerned about, and it's getting that word out. But again, I want to talk about social media. We need to educate families and, and parents and, and students that if you're going to use social media, then you need to use it responsibly. And it's one thing to say something over a text message or on Snapchat, and then it's quite another thing to be able to walk up to that person and to have a dialogue and a conversation. And we need to get back to that point in time. But I, I, I will absolutely say our schools are safe. But, you know, we have school police officers that do um, a tremendous job. We have counselors in all of our schools now, thankfully. Um, we have social workers in our schools. But when I talk about complex trauma, our kids are dealing with a lot of issues. We're dealing with sex trafficking within, within uh, our community as well. So these are, these are issues that our teachers, that our counselors, that our social workers, that our principals, our bus drivers, our aides, our assistants deal with every single day. You think the schools are safe? I do. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud of the work that has been done before I even got here. We have a Safe and Healthy Schools Commission. Uh, that commission of volunteers... Um, asked for and received funding for an audit of every single one of our schools and we went through that audit and we that was done by a nonprofit uh, foundation from uh, a national organization we have implemented the things that were called out in that study uh, single point of entry in every elementary school we've been working on that for several years we have uh, implemented a computerized 
visitor management system, so people have to be uh, buzzed into schools and they have to present identification and they have their photo taken to be able to get into our schools. We're establishing perimeters. It's very tough for some of our schools that were built long ago, particularly high schools, very tough to create single point of entry. But we know that controlling access to our schools is very important. But as Kristen said, what happens inside the school is a very, very big challenge. Uh, we have a lot of teachers who don't feel safe around their students. Uh, we, again, as Kristen said, social workers, we have behavior specialists who work with our, our teachers and with our kids. But um, kids who come to school after their parent committed suicide or their aunt or uncle uh, was just taken away to prison um, or look out from their apartment uh, balcony at the drug deal that's taking place in the apartment complex, um, our kids are facing tremendous challenges that we didn't have, certainly I didn't have uh, growing up, and uh, the world that they are facing is, is tremendously complex. So are our, are our schools safe? Yes, our schools are safe to the extent that we can impact societal changes and cultural changes that are going on in our country. Would they be safer if you increased the number of school police, if you had more than... Uh, more school police patrolling uh, the grounds? What well, we do, thankfully. Uh, the state supported a grant request that we just made, and now we have school police officers assigned to every single middle school. Um, but having a police officer there is not what solves everything. Uh, a lot of these challenges are social issues. They are social worker kinds of challenges, counselor kinds of challenges, and we don't have enough social workers and counselors um, I think our counselors have a one to 400 caseload average, and um, the uh, American Psychological Association for School Counselors uh, says that one to 200 is probably a better uh, average. So more to do, more to do. One to 200 doesn't even sound that great, No, right? it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's crazy. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, um, so we've been, we've been talking for about an hour. I want to um, uh, see if there... Are there any questions out there? If, if they're not... Okay, there are. Elizabeth, you want to... I'm going to give this to, uh, a mic to Elizabeth, and I'm going to steal Kristen's, and you guys can share, okay? Sure. I love it when John Ralston hands me the mic. <laughs> um, I actually have a question because I overheard a conversation in the back of the room, and I'm not going to call the person out, but I thought it was a good question. So I heard in this conversation the word resources get said a lot, and I think we all know that means money. And the question is, do we need to raise property taxes in order to find that money? And Shouldn't we be asking the governor that one? <laughs> uh, That's governor, the, no, I'm kidding, no, I'm kidding. He doesn't have to answer anything. I'm totally ready. I, governor, do you want to answer that question? <laughs> the governor does not. Why don't you give the microphone to Mike Kazmierski? Uh, you know what? I'd love. To, Mike, well, no, there was a question over there, Elizabeth. Uh, I actually think this is a good question. You're you're going to blow off the question. I'm just no, saying that. No. Oh, the, they, I'm just saying to ask them to take a, a a position on property taxes probably isn't fair. How many people in this room think that we should raise property taxes to fund education? Okay. Uh, where is the question? Note that the governor did not raise his hand. <laughs> so that was a good move uh, there, Elizabeth. Uh, a very so smart move by the governor. <laughs> Karen Swobe with a B. I'm going to control the mic. Karen's going to stand up and ask the question. No grandstanding. Kristen, 
Kristen, um, years ago I had heard that the federal formula for Title I is based on how much a school con- or a state contributes to education. So Massachusetts, their level of title is like 25% of kids free and reduced lunch. My, my, my numbers aren't right. Mm-hmm. Where our number is like 40%. So we aren't getting the federal money that we should be getting because we aren't giving as much as a state. And I, I don't know how many people know that, but I, I was surprised. And that's correct. And I think I was the one that actually told you that um, from my grant day. So. Oh, this is a setup. Very clever, Karen. Well done, Karen. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, absolutely. The, the Title I formula, first of all, is, is almost as complex as a, as a geometry proof. Um, but that's absolutely correct. Um, and the other part of the Title I formula, which is really important for, for this audience and the community to understand, is that it's built on census data. And so we know that the census is coming up. Um, and so we need to make sure that people um, understand what that census means. Um, it, it means congressional representation for our state, but it definitely, absolutely, positively means federal resources from Title I to Nutrition Services Program to um, the Individual with Disability Education Act or what we call IDEA. But yes, the amount of money that a, fun- that a state funds towards um, education absolutely goes into that Title I formula. Any other questions? Oh, the governor does have a question. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. All right, Governor, I'm holding the mic. No grandstanding. You get one question. It's as much of a comment as it is a question. And I want to really compliment you for being here and, John, you for having this. We need more discussions, open discussions about education and funding and where we're moving in the future. But we're making progress, and our teachers, I will stack our teachers up in terms of quality and the knowledge they impart to their students with teachers all over the country, anywhere you go. Our teachers are underpaid. There's no doubt in my mind. Every one of our teachers could make more money in another occupation. But that being said, John, your reporters could make more money if they went into another business as well. Oh, no, they couldn't. No, yeah, they, no could. they could not. Governor. We actually pay our reporters quite well. Thank you. <laughs> I, I know you pay them well. But what I'm saying is they do it for the love of the job. What, Kathy and I have spent a lot of time in classrooms. And these teachers have an amazing connection with their students. I mean, you don't go back and visit, you know, your mailman from 20 years ago. But my daughters go back and visit their teacher from 20 years ago. Yeah. That's the impact that teachers have on life. And this generation wants to make an impact on the future. And teaching is a noble, admirable profession. We need to do more to encourage people to get into that. The resources, you talked about property tax. You know how difficult it was. And I've got Scott here meeting my left, so I'm being real careful. He's giving you, you a look. He's giving you a look. I know. You know how difficult it no, was. No one's to your left, to Governor. Pass, to pass <laughs> what we did in terms of education funding and how difficult it is to increase funding. But our teachers, I will stack them up against absolutely any other group of teachers in the country. And they make an amazing connection with their students. That's all I want to I said no grandstanding. Sorry. You're not sorry. I'm not. No yelling, sir. Okay. What's your name? Keegan Bozier. Keegan Bozier has a respectful question. And I'm a teacher in the district, and, and Governor, I appreciate you and what you've done, and I appreciate you guys coming out here and answering our questions. But wait, wait, wait. What do you teach? I teach AP European History and World History. And right. what school are you at? 
should I tell them that? <laughs> read, read high school. Okay. Read high school. Uh, my question to you is, and, and undoubtedly, we do love our jobs and we love what we do every day, and I make connections with my students. My question to you, though, is that there is undoubtedly a low morale in the district among teachers. On the ground, we see that, and I appreciate your efforts to answer our questions or to at least listen. But your answers tonight have been that you are going to listen. What substantive changes are going to be coming in the district that are going to rise teacher morale? Can I ask a question? He why? Just did. No, I, yeah. yeah. Stand back up. Why do, you, why do you think teacher morale is low? Tell us why it's low. I think it's high classroom sizes that we feel like we can't give any sort of feedback, positive feedback. I also think that there are things that the district has done now and in the past um, in which we are putting a 90, you know, our 90 by 20. Well, now we're just inflating the graduation rates. We're not making it so that kids have to reach the graduation. We're lowering the standards. And the teacher, that kills me that we're lowering the standards to reach a percentage so that we can say, hey, we, we reached 90%. When it's not that the graduation rates or kids aren't graduating at the same standards, we're just lowering the standards so we can tout a 90% graduation rate. And as a teacher, that's part for me is like if, if my job, uh, and I hold my kids to a high standard, which you ask us to do, you, you evaluate us on high standards, but we're not holding the district to the same standards that the teachers are getting held to. And that's the frustration within the district is that the teachers are being held to a standard, but the district is not. And, and that's my frustration. So I'll, I'll talk to your question around um, low morale, and then I'd like to address your question as far as our graduation rate as well. Um, we've done a lot um, as far as low morale, um, but it's not, it's not going to turn the corner in one year. I mean, our district is large. Um, we have over 8,000 employees. But part of that, you know, it's, it's something that's small when you say you're listening to employees. But actually when I'm going into classrooms and actually having a conversation with the teacher, and let me just say something. Let me address it and put it out here on the table. There shouldn't be no reason why you should be nervous about saying what high school you're from or what school you're from. Right? You shouldn't be nervous about that. But those are some of the issues that we're dealing with in, in, in the the district. And when I have teachers emailing me and saying, please don't tell my administrator, please don't tell my supervisor that I'm emailing you. So we need to do better at that. We need to have a dialogue. And I may not agree with everything that you just, that you just said, but it's my responsibility as the interim superintendent to make sure that you have a voice and so one of the things that we're doing, we're putting a policy forward to the board as far as making sure that when policies or initiatives are put forward, that we have stakeholder input. I was the deputy superintendent last year. I've stated publicly, digital school days, that was under my leadership as well. So I have to take responsibility for that. We have to do better. But it's hearing from our teachers, and it's making sure that stakeholders have a voice at the table. So putting a policy on the table. It may not be something different every day to you, but on a district-wide basis, it's getting those voices heard and what, that, and what that means. And as far as the graduation rate, you know, we have had an increase in graduation rate, but it hasn't been skyrocketing. It's been over a decade that that graduation rate has increased incrementally from year to year to year. But there are other points along the pathway, and we talked a little bit about that earlier tonight with the ACT. But one thing that we're doing within the district is to taking a look across the pathway from pre-K 
to 12th grade. You're absolutely right. And you have not heard this interim superintendent go out and talk about 90 by 20 because there are other points along that pathway. Third grade proficiency. Our SBAC proficiency rates are not, nobody is proud of where our proficiency rates. You're not proud of as a teacher. We need to do better. And so we need to talk about what those points along the pathway are. And I, I, I don't want it to, to be left that, you know, every child who graduates, their performance has been audited by multiple individuals to make sure that they completed the requirements that the state of Nevada has for their graduation. Uh, and I, I will dispute that there's some artificial inflation of that. Uh, there is an auditing process that takes place that makes sure if the state of Nevada has changed requirements, which they have, we respond to those. We did an audit of our graduation rates following that change, and we found that the audited change um, and the change in legislation made about a 3% impact on who would have graduated otherwise. 3% more kids graduated than would have otherwise because of the change in the legislation. But I don't want folks to think we have done exhaustive analysis of is there a change in attendance? Is there a change in grades? Is there a change in how many kids get Fs or how many kids get As or how many kids are getting different grade point averages? And we have looked at it sideways, up and down, and there is no inflation going on. These are audited, absolutely verifiable graduation rates. And again, I thank our teachers, and I thank our students, and I thank our parents uh, for working hard. We have elementary school teachers who do home visits. Uh, we were talking with elementary school students the other day in elementary school families how important it is to make sure that those kids get the message Pre-K, kindergarten, you are going to graduate from high school and how important it is to graduate from high school. We send them an invitation to their own graduation when they are in elementary school to remind them we are, we are all here for you. We are all, all of you are here to make sure that every student graduates from high school and has that legitimate ticket to their future. Okay, one more question, and because uh, I promised we'd be out of here by 7.30, so uh, I'll let Elizabeth disappoint about six people and make one person happy. Your name? Lauren Hannigan. Lauren, what do you do? I'm a first grade teacher in the district. Excellent. What is your question? Well, since we know class size matters in helping students achieve their academic goals, and for teachers to connect with their students. What's specifically being done to help decrease that class size and to ensure that we have the correct facilities for those? Like, um, currently I'm in a team teaching situation, which is awesome, but we don't have the classrooms, so that's why we're team teaching. What does team teaching mean? Tell us. There are two teachers in the classroom with double the students, which I love my partner, so it's great. But it would be really nice to have less noise. How many students is that? Only 29 right now. And you're, but you don't have an official classroom? T tell us what that looks like. So there's two of us in one classroom with 29 students. We started the year with more, but we've had some move away. Um, but say we had another classroom available to us, we would be able to have um, what, 15 in one classroom with one teacher and 15 in the other with another teacher if we had more classrooms. 
Well, thank you, first of all, for being a first-grade teacher. I was actually at Sepulveda Elementary School today in another first-grade teacher's classroom in a team-teaching situation um, with 34 students. Um, and so your, your question is, is on two sides, right? We have the teacher allocation, which is a teacher, and then we also have the facility question. Um, and so thankfully, with WC1, we were able to expand those resources, and we opened up three new schools, but that actually helps with overcrowding across the district. With the three new schools that opened, it actually impacted over a third of our schools um, to allow more kids into our elementary schools, and then also with the elevation of sixth grade into our middle schools, which is helping with elementary overcrowding. Um, and then we have two new schools opening up next week or next year, um, Bohatch Elementary and then Marzi Hers uh, Middle School. But as far as the teacher allocation, remember our budget is built on teacher allocations. And I talked a little bit about the Title I formula um, being complicated. The teacher allocation uh, process is, is probably just as, as difficult as that. But when we set the budget, that's based on student enrollment. And so when we take a look at a school and how many teachers a school receives, that's based on student enrollment. And so based upon what your school enrollment is, that's how many teacher allocations you are based on a particular class size ratio. So kindergarten, we have a class size ratio of 22 to 1. And that's at a district level. Our kids don't come in nice little packages from classroom to classroom. So it's a, it's a complicated question, um, and we're working on it. We had only 14 teachers uh, this year that were overaged across the school district. Now, if you're one of those 14 teachers, that's really personal, right, because you have to go now to another school. But these are issues that we talk about. We had a, a presentation last night at the board around allocations. Um, we had a much more transparent type of process this year, um, but I absolutely understand where you're coming from as far as class size. We need, we need to do better than that. All right. So we're going to create uh, an exception because there's a very special kind of question uh, that's coming your way, and then we're going to wrap this up. Hello. Uh, your name? Addison Clark. Addison, you're a student in the Washoe County School District? Yeah, I'm in the leadership program at Swope Middle School. What grade are you? Seventh. And what is your question? Um, so when I was in fifth grade, we had 36 students in my class and only one teacher. So I was, and I know it affected me and multiple kids in my class as a student, but what are you going to do for how it affected the teacher? So t let's talk a little bit about that. 36 students in a class, you think it could have been better. T tell us how it could have been better if there were fewer students and, and why was it a problem? It was mostly a problem because we didn't really have one-on-one -on -one interaction with the teacher. We were only putting together as groups, so we didn't really learn as much as other classes were because there was another class who only had like 25, and then there were other classes were in the 20s. So I just think it was a little unfair when we came into that SBAC testing and that MAPS testing that we maybe didn't do as well because we didn't have that one-on-one -on -one action with the teacher. How much conversation was there in your group and in your class about testing and making sure that you tested well? Yeah. There wasn't a lot of questions about testing, but there was mostly more, like, they didn't talk about testing. They just went right into it, and I feel like we would have been better prepared and we would have done better if we had more 
um, inf information about testing. Okay, so come back, repeat that question for us one more time. Um, if we had more information about testing, that we would have done better when we went into the testing. So cl class size uh, coming up at, again and again, and now we have a student perspective. How many? 36? 36. Well, thank you for the question, Addison. And thank you for serving on your leadership team at SWOPE. Um, so my first year of teaching, I was a fourth grade teacher, and I had 42 students in my classroom as a first-year teacher. And we talk about, in our school district, rigor, relevancy, and relationship. And one of the things that's really difficult on a teacher is building that relationship between you and me. And when you have 36 kids in a classroom at all levels, that's really, really difficult. And believe me, we talked about a magic wand and what I would love to be able to do. I would love to be able to give every single school all the teachers that they would need, all of the counselors that they would need, all of the social workers that, they would, that, that would help because of that one reason that you were talking about. It's really difficult to have that one-to-one -one relationship with your teacher when they have 36 responsible lives in that classroom. And it talks about what we, what we were talking about earlier. It speaks to what we were talking about earlier as far as additional funding. And I would love to be able to wave a magic wand and give that classroom, split it in half, so that we would have less students per teacher. That's what I would love to be able to do. Addison, you have to admit that part of your problem has been your parents, though, right? I mean, they are, they are, they are bad news, your parents. <laughs> but let me, let me just wrap up this way. Uh, uh, obviously, some of, some of the other folks out here have questions, and, and uh, I, I'm sure that uh, they, 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 they are going to have trouble finding their way to the door, so uh, get them uh, while you can. Let's just say a couple things, and, and Addison brought up this point, and it's the right point. Uh, I used to have a running conversation. I've covered every legislature. I hate to say this since 1987. And for many of those legislatures, I had a running conversation uh, with a guy you know, who's no longer with us who would have been 93 today by the name of Bill Raggio. It's his birthday today. And Bill Raggio was committed to this state. He was committed to education. But he did not believe in class size reduction. And I used to have this argument with him all the time. He said, John, you, John, you and I had 40 kids in a class when we were growing up. No, I wasn't quite as old as Bill Raggio, but he was right. But he was right. And it's still, it's a difficult hurdle for people to get over, but it's so important. I mean, 36 kids in, in a classroom, even 34 with team teaching, that's just, it's nuts. And, and until people buy into that and give the resources and it takes it from the community too because you got to vote to build new schools this is about building new schools and getting uh, the proper funding uh, and so thank you for for the perfect last question at and i really i really appreciate it and i was joking about your parents i i, I like both of them finally um these these are not easy conversations to have but uh, your willingness to come out and talk about this and take tough questions. Uh, I don't doubt uh, whatever mistakes you may have made or may make that you both are obviously committed. Uh, you wouldn't be doing it if you weren't. And so please give uh, both of these uh, ladies a big round of applause for their willingness to come. Thank you for coming.
Thank you for listening to this special bonus episode of Indie Matters. We want to thank Katie Simon Holland and Kristen McNeil for agreeing to be questioned by John on stage, and we'd like to thank everyone who attended the event and asked questions. If you'd like to know more about future events, you can sign up for our newsletter by visiting our site, thenevadaindependent.com. Our music, as always, is from People With Bodies. I'm Joey Lovato, and we'll have another episode of Indie Matters for you soon. <laughs>